God had to remind me, hey, it's time to preach, buddy. You know, I was like, okay. <laughs> That's a little embarrassing, but uh, not as embarrassing as one time back in Illinois when we were having the pre-service meeting, and, um, and then we was praying, and they was like, yeah, and bless Dave as he speaks today. And I'm like, Dave speaking today? It's like, uh, uh, <laughs> it's like after the prayer, I was like, I grabbed the evangelist. I was like, he goes, yeah, remember at the leaders retreat, we agreed you were going to speak this Sunday. I was like, oh, yeah, we did. We did. And then, uh, and, and what was that lesson about? You know, anyway, but it, it, it sent a shockwave through my system. And I still have nightmares about that. But uh, somebody says it's one of my best sermons ever. So, you know, uh, you never know what the Spirit's going to do. We are honored to be here. We're honored to be here. Uh, how do you say this? What valley is it? Coachella Valley. How do you remember that? Coachella. Does that rhyme, does that rhyme with anything? Coachella, Luella, I don't know. Nutella. Nutella, thank you. I love Nutella. Okay. <laughs> Nutella, thank you. That We had some uh, hazelnut ice cream in a, gelatin, a, a gelato shop downtown of Palm Springs that night. It was a lot like Nutella. So thank you. Now I got it. I got it. All, all works together. You get a little older and you have to get these um, memory becomes bigger issues. So, um, uh, but... It is awesome to be here in the Coachella Valley, and it's awesome to be talking about the transforming power of God's grace. Um, we are here for multiple reasons, but uh, one of the reasons we're out here in general, other than Robin is working on finishing up her fifth book, um, which will be out, when's it coming out? The summer. summer. It'll be out, by, it'll be out in Orlando for sure um, over the summer, but um, but. The other reason is that uh, we're having a conference the 26th of March. Uh, it's called the Pure and Simple Conference. This is be Pure and Simple West. And um, we want to come out and start introducing ourselves. The conference is being hosted by the Inland Empire. It's going to be held at the uh, Rancho Cucamonga building. Uh, and so we wanted to give people a little, little taste, a little foreshadowing, a little uh, wet your appetite, so to speak, for what the conference is all about. Just being It's called Transformed. And because we know that um, you know, statistics tell us and what we've been around the world know that there are many, many who, who struggle uh, with overcoming sexual sin. Uh, the numbers, uh, I could go through a bunch of numbers for you, but let me say they're not, they're not encouraging. But we believe, and our, you'll hear from our story tonight a little bit and, and a lot more at the conference, uh, that there is power. There's, 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 God has a way of recovering all of us from whatever pervasive, whatever has been holding us captive, um, God's power to do that is through his grace. The transforming power to change, even in what my case had been a 30-year struggle um, with overcoming my sexual sin, uh, the power, even though I'd made many, many resolves to change, the only time that I had the power to change is when I understood, began to understand in a new way, uh, the power of God's transforming grace. So we're going to talk a lot about grace today and what it is and how it has that power. Um, Gerald May, Dr. Gerald May, the author of a book called Addiction and Grace, one of my favorites, says that grace is the most powerful force in the universe. That's a big statement. The most powerful force in the universe is the grace of God. And understanding that, I think in general, we've kind of been afraid to, to trust grace as a church because um, we're kind of afraid people are going to get Get by with things, you know. Yeah, we too much, too much grace that people are going to start, you know, like the like the old Romans six, you know, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Is like the people might start thinking that way. Hey, 
What does it matter what I do? God's going to forgive it anyway. So what, what does it matter? But a true understanding of grace is much different than that. And hopefully by today, uh, Zen, you'll have a better grasp on why grace is so powerful. And hopefully you'll be excited enough about it that you'll want more. And you'll be learning more about it in days and weeks to come. And you'll want to be with us on the 26th of March in Rancho. And so, um, I used to sing. Oh, here we go. So the conference is transformed. And all of us, I think, deep in our hearts, realize we need to be transformed. There is something about us that's not quite there yet. And if you don't think that way, then you probably need it even more because uh, you're blind to the transformation. And that will be the next step is you'll have to be woken up to what you need to be transformed in. But most of us have a pretty good notion. If I were to say to write down some way that you need to be transformed, I don't think it would take too long for all of us to think of something, and probably some of us would need a couple pages, you know, of, uh, of things. And we, we've thinking about, you know, like all the different things we've had to overcome. You know, one of the things is like, okay, good. we've had, Robin's had the love addiction, the sexual addiction. Uh, certainly I've struggled with my weight through the years. And then we thought about, you know, we, we travel a lot in this ministry, and um, we always overpack. We always overpack. So we thought, well, uh, on, the, on, on the night of the week that we have free from our other meetings, we're going to go to Overpackers Anonymous. You know, we're going to we're going to we're going to learn how to break this habit of packing too much stuff. I don't know. Is anybody else want to join us? Is anybody else Overpackers out there? There's like you know, uh, you got that suitcase, man. You know, you know what 50 pounds feels like. You got that. Your arm is calibrated. You can. That's about 48.5. I don't think we got we got another we got another pound and a half here. I mean, let's 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 put something else in there. We got another pound and a half left. Um, that that is us. Uh, always will be areas we need transformed. And so for the rest of our lives it will be something, some way, or somehow, we will need the transforming power of God's grace. Um, I love Acts 17, 28. Uh, Paul in the Areopagus, I don't know if I've said that quite right, uh, in Athens, amongst the, the idea thought leaders of the time, um, was disturbed about all these idols. that you know, they had So many different gods. And he said, I want to talk to you about this unknown God. It says, for in him... We live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And he said, you know, you're, you're gods. You've got, you know, Poseidon and you've got Thor and you've got Jupiter. And these guys are up there throwing lightning bolts and creating tsunamis and doing all kinds of things that make people fear them. Uh, but this unknown God that I serve, he, he lives in me. He moves in me. He's taken up his very being inside of me. And he's made me. He's adopted me. I'm now his son. My wife is now his daughter. We're his offspring. We're his children. He has always wanted to live in a relationship with us. Always wanted us to experience his presence. And you think about that through the scriptures. You you run through the scriptures. What was it like in the beginning? When Adam was, was there, and, you know, we have different thoughts on the, the length of the creation thing or whatever. God may have done it in seven literal days. But a part of me thinks that maybe God, with Adam, it says he, he and Adam named the animals. And um, given the number of species of animals, uh, yeah, in 24 hours, he could have named them if he did one like every three seconds, okay? So God could have put them on a conveyor line and is like... Um, Okay, Adam, I'll get to uh, uh, zebra. Okay, great. Uh, giraffe, great. 
Uh, yeah, water buffalo, great. Uh, zebra, Adam, you already said zebra. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, God. Let's see, I think of something else. Uh, elephant, you know, whatever. You know, it, 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 I, don't, I don't picture it that way, though. I picture God and Adam walking in the garden, the walled garden of Eden, and like a father showing his son something new and special, like, son, I want you to see this animal. Wow, God, that, you know, that's, that's crazy. What, is, you know, what, what should we call this? And, and how exciting it would have been to have that affirming presence of God walking together, experiencing that. And if you want to get a vision of what it might have been like with God and Eve, I wrote a book on that, Eve Song. And she, in using biblical wisdom and, and her own insights, talks about what it would have been like to be walking with God. When Eve walked with God, and her first desire was for God and not for Adam, you know, what that was like. And so, um, but God wanted to be in their presence even after they sinned. He still wanted to be in their presence. They, he, they went to, he was there in the, in the garden waiting for them, and they were all hiding in the bushes. You know, they were in their shame. But God was there. He knew what they'd sinned, but he still wanted to be able to process it with them, able to work through this with them. But, of course, they hid from him. And so the idea of being present in someone's presence, that's a, that's a difficult thing sometimes, especially with COVID. The idea of being fully attentive, fully available. Now, I told the guys this morning um, in Riverside, I was like, brothers, don't tell your wife you're taking her out this afternoon and go to a sports bar because there is no way you're going to be fully attentive. You're going to be pretending to be there, but then you're going to, your eyes are going to be drifting off to that game. You know, you, you, can't, you can't do, this is not going to work. I've tried it. It doesn't work. You know, you, you're not that good. You cannot multitask. She'll know if you're there or if you're not, okay? But true presence, to be fully attentive, fully available, your eyes, your emotions, all those things, you are right there with them. Wow. To have that from God. God is right in my thoughts, right in my, right there, looking me in the eye. That's powerful. And then learning to be that kind of presence for others. We, we reflect the nature of God. You know, God has this ability. He wants to be present with us, like he was present with his, his firstborn. But then he gives us the ability to be present with each other and to reflect his very nature in our relationships. Not easy to do in our attention deficit world. But to really give somebody your full attention, put the phones away, all right? Put them down. Hide them. No phones, no media, no earbuds. Doesn't that bug you when you, you hear somebody say something and you think, oh, you're talking to me? And it's like, and they're talking to somebody on the phone with your earbuds. It's like, oh, never mind. You know, it's like, oh, you don't, I didn't want to hear from you anyway. You know, it's like, but there's so many things going on to distract us. And so that's the definition we're going to offer today of grace. God's affirming presence. God's affirming presence. Now, grace is a big topic, okay? It's a lot of, that doesn't cover all the different aspects of grace. But the way I understand it best is like, if you look at the umbrella, the umbrella is unmerited favor, undeserved gift from God. That's the big umbrella of grace. But then there's, underneath that umbrella, there's the amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like Cal, like me, I'm like, you know, uh, you know, but that, that, that's amazing grace. That is amazing grace that he would save us. Totally undeserved. But it doesn't stop there. But wait, there's more, okay? Then there's the grace that sustains us. 
this affirming grace that stays with us, that sanctifies us, that, that helps us grow. It's this affirming grace, you could call it empowering grace, or even transforming grace. It's this affirming presence that's there with us. And we believe that's the grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. That's this affirming presence that God has given us. And then there's the third kind that Paul says the grace to be revealed, heaven. And all of them are about this presence. He, he saved us not just to get us clean, but, but because he wanted to walk with us. Sin was separating us. He wanted to reconcile us, 2 Corinthians 5. He reconciled us. He wanted to be with us again. He wanted to walk with us again. And now that he's walking with us, he's saved us so we could walk with him. Now we walk with him in this life only till the end when we can walk with him forever. So it's grace all the way through. Grace that saves us, grace that sustains us, or that his affirming presence, and the grace to be revealed, which is heaven is all about God's grace. So you're starting to get a little idea that this is powerful stuff, right? Powerful stuff. David said, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, the eternal pleasures in your right hand. David is fired up about being in the presence of God. It's like, I'm just full of joy in your presence. And when I in your presence, I can see that you have something in your hand. What's that in your hand, God? What's that in your right hand? Sorry, if you're left-handed, I'm sorry. God's right-handed. Sorry about that. But God, what's that in your hand, God? What's that in your hand? Eternal pleasures. Whoa, eternal pleasures. God making these known to me. That's good stuff. Now, you see, Satan, he sees this, and this, is, this, is, this, is, this troubles him. Like, whoa, if they see, if they're filled with joy in God's presence, they're going to want to keep going back there, okay? And if they understand their eternal pleasures, this is not fair, God. I mean, you've got all the cards here. You've got joy, people bursting with joy. You've got eternal pleasures. What can I do about this as Satan consults with his demons? We have to blind them. We have to shut their eyes. We have to block out their vision of God. Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart. For what? They will see God. Satan's attack, his assault on our purity, not just our sexual purity, but any kind of impurity that, that is an adhesion to our heart. The word katharos literally means an adhesion. Anything that sticks to our heart, or you know, like a cataract, it sticks to our eyes. Anything that can block the view of God, then he's got a chance to lie, to try to come up with some other kind of substitute pleasure, some kind of a fake pleasure, some kind of false intimacy, we call it. Then he's got a chance if he can block our vision. I mean, that's the first thing. If you go to war with another country, we went into um, the war in, in the Middle East, the very first thing we did was what? We knocked out their radar. Knocked out their eyes. So then they were defenseless against our attack, the shock and awe thing. Some of you guys are too young to remember that, but it was a thing. Okay, look it up in Wikipedia. It, it happened. Um, and so um, Satan is the same way. If he wants to win the battle for our hearts and souls, he's got to knock out our vision. And impurity, whether it's sexual or any other kind of impurity, is his number one weapon to steal our vision. And then we forget about how good it is to have a clean conscience. We forget about how awesome the pleasures of God are. And the things of the world start looking more attractive to us and more inviting. And so 
That's what Satan is doing to knock out our vision of the awesome and mighty God who wants to live in our presence. And then, of course, we know that in his presence comes transformation. Remember the apostles? They were changed people. They were transformed because they had been with Jesus, right? The power of presence. Being with Jesus totally changed them. And I talk about this sometimes with guys like, hey, um, how many times have you looked at pornography if your mother was sitting beside you at that computer? Uh, that would be a, a zero, right? Okay. Even your evangelist sitting next to you, that would be a zero, right? And so it probably would be a affirming presence, but it might have been a little smack, too, if your mother was. <laughs> it might have been more affirming, a, a loving affirmation, like, you know, maybe it got a little, little tough. But nonetheless, if we have God's affirming presence, won't that help us say no? If we have bring God right into that situation, whatever it is, whether it's emotional pain we're feeling, whether it's a temptation, I mean, he already knows what's in our mind. So when I talk to him about it, God, I'm, I'm struggling here. Help me, under, help me process this. This person's beautiful. It's attractive. Talk to me. Let's, let's, you know, let's, let's think about this together. Oh, yeah, she's, she's a daughter. She's someone's wife. She's someone that has hurts and pains. And you start getting to see her through God's eyes or him through God's eyes. And all of a sudden, all the, the fantasy and all the false intimacy goes away because now you, you process it in the presence of God. That's the power to say no. It's not that you're, the power to know is you're afraid he's going to smack you, which sometimes he, he, he does. Okay, Sometimes he, if he has to, he will. But that's not why he wants to work. He wants us to bring him in to every situation and then with the power of his presence, see things differently. See things differently. See it the way he sees it. And that totally disarms Satan's plan. And, of course, David, when he did sin sexually, his biggest concern was, Psalm 51, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. He understood that his sin, his sexual sin, ultimately had the power to remove him from his walk with God. And he desperately, he had not forgotten about the eternal pleasures of God, the joy in his presence. He had enough recollection. His heart was still soft enough to realize, you know, no, no, no. I want to go back there, God. I want to go back to those days of purity, those back to the days under the stars, which is you and me under the stars at night as I'm watching those sheep. Take me back there, Lord. That's where I need to be, not in the mess I've created for myself. So being in God's presence, um, this is Idaho. California's beautiful. I'll give it to you. You got nice mountains with some snow on it that makes me feel a little bit like home. Uh, we got some nice ones too, okay? This is a Sawtooth Lake. It's about a six-mile hike up there, and it's, uh, it's, it's, there are some crazy beautiful places um, we get to enjoy just like you do. And, and they remind us of God's presence, his creation. But we can't go there every day. So how do we live in God's presence every day? Um, how does that work? And you have to figure out your own thing. So maybe you just here. Let's just talk about that a minute. What I mean, this was a, this is a powerful moment for me. Obviously, you can kind of understand why. Um, where do you go? What do you do that that reminds you or helps you feel like you're right in the very presence of God? Yes. Worship music, powerful, powerful. Worship is a great part. You read Psalm 119 when David talks about 
how to stay on the path of purity. The next eight verses talk about a lot about worship. So worship is one of David's ways to stay on the path. Other ways. Hiking. Wow, you got great hikes out here. We went, we went down in, in Palm Canyon, the hiking there. Uh, gorgeous, beautiful. You guys are blessed with lots of great hiking. Yes, I'll start back there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Birds. Birds are amazing, yeah. I throw, bird, I throw a bird seed out, too, and I, I love watching those birds. And then the squirrels. Squirrels and birds get along pretty well, actually. They, 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 they're both out there uh, getting the free meal. But just they're amazing creatures. The birds, squirrels, amazing creatures, yes. Yes. Prayer walks. Prayer walks, yeah. Out under the stars or just under the beautiful clouds. Something about that. Yeah. And those are awesome. Yeah. Gratitude. Gratitude, thank you. That is one of the big ones. I really, I'm a gratitude-aholic. Okay, that's another one. But I don't, I don't need to, I don't need to recover from that. I need to, I need to keep that addiction. I mean, I thank God for my eggs and the, the chorizo and and the, the green peppers and the olive oil and the salt and the pepper and the hot sauce and whatever else I throw in there. You know, I thank God for for all of that stuff. You know, and and really, um, and I thank God for my taste buds. Oh my gosh, you thank God for your taste buds lately? I mean, they're not pretty, but they're amazing. They're amazing what they do. It's incredible. Some of you who have had COVID, maybe appreciate your taste buds now more than ever. You know, it's just like crazy things about the human body. I love studying human anatomy. Just you, just when you breathe. Have you ever studied your area? The things you go on these little bronchi- bronchial um, little bags of sacs there, like there's a. Reveli or what they call it. Some of you biology majors out there. There's millions of them inside. Like there is a, it's an incredibly complex process going on in your body 24/7. Totally amazing. That should remind us of God's creation, God's work. Man has never created one living cell, not one, ever. Your body is a miracle. You say I need to see a miracle. Look in the mirror. It's a miracle. There's so many things. There are so many things your body is doing that are so miraculous. And we were talking about the sunshine out here. Um, do you realize that in, in one second, the sun produces more energy than mankind has used in the history of all mankind? Every gallon of gasoline, every atomic nuclear power, every, everything we've ever used in the history of man, every campfire, the second, in one second of the sun's energy can equal that amount of energy. Just one second. Now, here's, here's a kicker. I don't want to get too far off this because I have limited time. We were walking on the beach in Oregon for Robin's birthday back in September, and it was like, it hit me like, I heard somebody say, like, for every grain of sand on the beach, there is a star. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This beach is miles long. And, and then I, even, I went and looked it up, like, how many grains of sand are in a, in a cup? Take one cup of sand, how many grains do you think are in there? Yeah, it depends on the courses of the sand, of course. Anywhere from like three to seven million in one cup. And there's a lot of cups of sand on just the beaches of California. Throw in Oregon, throw in Hawaii, Indonesia, the Philippines. There's some Filipinos here. There's people in the audience. Some nice beaches in there, right? The Philippines. You, got some, you know, with, with, with 6,000 or 8,000 islands, there's a lot of beach. 
just in the Philippines alone, in the incredible shells and stuff, you know, throw in the Philippine beaches, throw in Valley, throw in the ones in, in the, you know, on the East Coast, Florida, Carolinas, throw in, we've been on the beach before in Ghana, throw in the ones around the Mets. There's a lot of beaches, okay? That's a lot of cups of sand. So I started looking this up like, okay, this is, this is a joke, you know, somebody's just playing around. And I won't go through the whole process of how they did it with the Hubble telescope, and they determined how many galaxies are in the observable universe, and then how many stars are in per galaxy. There's actually 10 stars for every grain of sand on the beaches of this planet. Okay? So now, if one star, the sun, which is a medium-sized star, can create enough energy, you put it all together, and you're like, you know, just like, okay. And so when you look up that sun or you put your sunscreen on or whatever, your awareness of the sun, it's like, oh, my goodness. When Paul said he, God can do exceedingly abundantly of anything I can ask or imagine, he wasn't joking, and he could only see a – he didn't have the Hubble. You know, he didn't have any clue how many galaxies there were. Or when David said, what is man that thou art mindful of him? When he looked under the stars, you know, he had no clue how many stars there were. So – Open our eyes to, to God's working, whether it's in our food or our digestion or eyesight or ears. or you know, It's just the, living in the awareness of the presence of God. It's great. I'm not against quiet times. I, I think quiet times are good. But I think we struggle sometimes because we, we limit, oh, I was with God. That's our time with God. No, all of our times with God. If we can open our eyes and understand what God is moving and what his creation does. Um, I'd like to get this Robin if I'm sure right now a little bit about how God's grace has impacted her life. Hi, everybody. <laughs> I'm delighted um, to be able to share a little bit um, about my own life. Um, there's a picture of me in uh, Molokai. And I want to tell you a little bit about how grace has produced resilience in my life. You know, when I was a little kid, I don't know, I just had a huge imagination, very creative. My mom was an artist. My dad was an engineer. And I had this sense I could be and do anything. And, um, and I had this, this joy. But then came... You know, unfortunately, sexual abuse as a young child, a relative took advantage of me. Then in my teen years came alcoholism into our family. And I began to learn a different kind of thing about joy, a thing that I think, you know, speaking to women all over the world, that we bring into our Christianity. And I began to learn that if I could only be good enough and I could only be perfect enough, then there wouldn't be shame on me or it wouldn't be something I could get caught in, you know, and then my dad would unleash this verbal assault, you know, in his alcoholism. He's a good dad for so many years. But, you know, he wouldn't be able to unleash that on me if, if I had this, if I, if I just did it all right. And, and then came what I just recently began to understand, another version of perfectionism. And sisters, I'm thinking you probably, maybe you've never heard it this way, but I started figuring out that romance is a version of perfectionism. Have you ever watched a Hallmark, Hallmark Christmas movie? 
They have lights on every surface, you know, like people decorate their houses this way on every edge and every everything. The little bumps are minor compared to the, the perfection, the beautiful women who always end up with the men. And romance is another version of trying to control people thinking we're not enough, that we're not pretty enough, we're not good enough, you know, and trying to prevent abuse or abandonment and the things that we fear are the things that happen to us as children. And so when I became a Christian at 17, God washed away all my sins and and I was the first one in my family to become a Christian. And um, But what I didn't understand was it would be a long, long journey of healing and transformation. And for that, I would need a whole new way of understanding grace. But that grace would not be something I'd understand at baptism. Yes, there was the baptism grace. But there would be a grace I would need that I'd be a lifetime pursuing and understanding. And that's because Satan was in my ear whispering, you know, instead of saying, you know, to try to get me to think I could have joy in God's presence regardless of what happened to me, regardless of what I had or didn't have. Satan wanted to sell me a version that when I was a mess, God kind of stepped back and let me work it out, you know. And, and, but then when I got good enough, then I was in his presence again. And so there was a sense that that presence kind of came and went, and it left this great insecurity in my soul. And in that, you know, I've, it's, it's been a blessing that addiction came into our lives. Not that I would ask for many of the horrible things that happened, you know, in the 20 years of in and out sexual addiction and then me discovering love addiction and codependency. I would never ask that for anyone, but yet this great blessing came and I began to realize I needed a whole new version, a a biblical version, a redo on what grace is, on what this affirming presence really is and how it speaks into my fears and into my weakness and into my losses and and to, and how it's, It's not just running behind me to fix things. This grace that God's been ahead of me the whole time. He's been ahead of me, preparing me for bad things that happened to me, sending me scriptures when I needed them, trying to get my attention when there would be pain or hurt, you know, walking with me on many, many trails I blazed full of tears in the years of recovery. And that grace would produce resilience and perseverance. And so, you know, I I wanted to tell you a little story and then relate that to the cross um, because I think that's where we're heading today is the cross. It's a good place to head, right? And um, I have a friend who's got a little grandbaby. um, And, uh, well, she's six years old. And uh, my friend posted on Facebook about this that she made her some peanut butter crackers. And, um, you know, um, her little granddaughter, you know, when they – they got away from the kitchen, kind of out in the backyard or something. They were going to eat the crackers. The daughter, the granddaughter looked at them, and she's like, Grandma, there's not peanut butter on all of the cracker. Like she was noticing the empty spaces around the edge, and she was looking at her like, you've got to fix this right now. Like, you've disappointed me. You didn't put peanut butter all the way to the edge. And my friend being, you know, a, a wise woman, she was like, you know, Livy, um, you see where the peanut butter's at? That's positive space. 
And you see, anywhere the peanut butter is not, that's negative space. And you can only have balance if you have both negative space and positive space. And I was like, wow, she didn't even realize it. She had taught her granddaughter this powerful lesson about grace. Grace lives in the positive space, but grace thrives in the negative space. And I was thinking today how Jesus came into the negative spaces. He came into the spaces where there was no peanut butter on the cracker. You know, maybe not even any peanut butter on the very little peanut butter on the cracker. He came outside the camp. He came into the foolish. And some people could look at Dave and I's story or some of your stories and say, man, that's foolish, shameful. You know, what a shame. How terrible that that happened to you. But Jesus came into those places that we put shame. He carried a wooden beam right into the ultimate paradox. He accepted what others considered a stumbling block. And in doing so, here's the miracle. He stepped into a grace already prepared for him. God had thought ahead all the way from that rainbow. You know, with Noah, he had thought ahead. And he stepped into this grace. And that's the grace that I needed. And so through a process of, I don't know, coaching, becoming a coach, I've really, I've really worked on this grace thing. And in it, I've realized that resilience has a name, Jesus. And weakness has a hero, it's Jesus and his Holy Spirit. And so I no longer have to be afraid of the negative spaces. You know, and you don't have to be afraid of them. Or we don't have to be afraid where there's stuff on the cracker other than peanut butter. You know what I mean? We don't have to be afraid of the things we want to hide. We can bring them into the presence of God because Jesus understands the Holy Spirit works there. And there we find grace upon grace. So ultimately... The story of God's presence goes through the whole scriptures. You've got children of Israel in the desert. You've got the pillar of fire by night, the cloud by day. You've got Enoch who walked with God for 300 years. It was like a crazy amount living in God's presence. You've got Moses saying, God, I won't go unless your presence goes with us. So we've got the presence of God through the whole Old Testament, the bread of the presence. But God says, I want to do better. I want to raise it a notch. I want to send my son Emmanuel, which means God with us. I want my presence to be right there with you through Jesus. And I want through him to be able to understand you better. For him to be the perfect high priest who suffers all the temptations we suffer, all the pains we suffer. Now I can be in your presence even in a greater way because I've got this mediator. And from there, um, we can see how that uh, God then says, okay, Jesus says, now, I've got to go. But it's better that I go because now I'm sending the Spirit where I could only be you in the, within the flesh so much time a day. With the Holy Spirit, you'll have me and God in you, living and moving and have my, his being in you 24-7. You've got a mediator. You've got a counselor. You've got a, a comforter. You've got the perfect recovery partner to guide you in this path. And that's what Robin um, alluded to, that there was a point in the, after 20 years in our marriage where my pattern of acting out had not stopped that she asked me to leave the house and said okay I can't you can't punch me in the gut anymore I'm I've had I can't and people were telling her she should leave me because 
she had grounds for divorce. And um, if I was going to change, I would have changed by now. And they, they had a point. Um, but I went to the Holy Spirit and said, I need help. I, I, I've got a degree in Bible, but I'm missing something here. Show me the way, Spirit. Lead me to the teachers, the books, the resources, the seminars, doctors, whatever I need. Lead me to where it will allow me to have long-term freedom over my sin. He did. That's God's grace at work. And that's the grace that, for the resilience, when Paul had his thorn in the flesh, and Jesus said, I'm not taking the thorn away. My grace is sufficient. We believe the definition of my affirming presence is sufficient. Fits really well in that scripture. He was already saved. He's not just saying, hey, get happy because you're saved. I think he's saying, no, my presence is enough to carry you through the difficulties in life. And so this presence in the theme of our workshop, our, our conference, is Second Corinthians 3.18. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We are transformed, not through our own effort, our own power. God transforms us as we contemplate, as we look upon his glory, as we soak in his affirming presence. I think that's why the Lord's Supper is instituted. It was to bring us to a time every week where we contemplate his glory. We contemplate his love. We contemplate his desire to walk with us. We contemplate the gift of salvation, the gift of his affirming presence, the gift that waits ahead of us, this eternal inheritance. But as we do that, we contemplate, and we remember Jesus. It says we're changed. We are transformed. We're being transformed, not all at once, but it's a gradual, increasing glory, increasing glory. And when it says that God is glorified, what that means is that God's nature is being made known. For you to glorify God means that people see God's nature in you. Jesus glorified God because people saw God's nature in his life. And so as you are transformed, God is glorified through you because more and more people see the attributes of God in your life, which comes, again, as the Holy Spirit comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Spirit living in us 24-7, He works then and brings about these fruits of the Spirit. Okay, Those love and joy and peace and patience, those come as fruits of the Spirit living in us 24-7 as we contemplate the glory. That's what we're going to do for eight hours on March 26th. But that's what we're going to do right now as we take the Lord's Supper. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we're so, so thankful for your amazing grace, your grace that saved us, your grace that gives us resilience and sustains us. God, that you would want to be with us. You'd want to be right there giving us your full attention as a father or a mother tending for their child. You want to be our father and us to walk with you in an amazing, special relationship. You living in us and moving in us and us being filled with the joy in your presence, Father. But we know that sin had, had blocked us, that Jesus had to die for our sin to be forgiven so we could once again enjoy your presence and we could have hope 
of eternal life in your presence. So God, as we take this bread and this juice, may we be reminded of who you are and your great love for us, your great plan for us, and the great thing you did in allowing Jesus to be Emmanuel, to be your presence with us, and him opening the door for us to, to live in your presence forever. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.